Welcome to Canada's most irreverent talk show. This is The Andrew Lawton Show, brought to you by True North. The Andrew Lawton Show starts right now. Welcome to the Andrew Lawton Show, Canada's most irreverent talk show here on True North. Good to have you with us as we kick off another week in July. The summer is coming down here. It is like 35 degree temperatures, so I'm glad that I'm holed up in the basement studio, which has a a nice uh, 16 to 17 degree chill sometimes. So I'm not looking forward to uh, the new studio in the winter, but for now it's actually quite nice. Uh, uh, We'll we'll rename it the Meat Locker before, uh, before long, depending on how things are going. In any case, Let's talk about all the things that are happening right now because a few items on the 2020 bingo card that I didn't have. Uh, The first was President Kanye West and the second was Bubonic Plague. These are two things that I I didn't know were coming down the pipeline, but evidently are. Uh, Kanye West tweeted the other day, as a matter of fact, on the 4th of July, We must now realize the promise of America by trusting God, unifying our vision, and building our future. I am running for President of the United States, hashtag 2020 vision. Now, this was uh, very quickly uh, endorsed by Elon Musk, uh, who has decided to offer his full support to Kanye West. And then it became a running gag of which other celebrities are are going to get into it. Uh, Paris Hilton tweeted that it was time for uh, her to run for president, which, uh, you know what, wouldn't be uh, as bad as some people might think. I would take Prime Minister Paris Hilton over Prime Minister Justin Trudeau. So uh, in any case, the whole point of the Kanye West campaign, I'm not entirely clear. This is a guy who's got a really good record at self-promoting. He's also had a a come-to-Jesus moment in the last year in the most literal sense of it. I mean, he's actually found God, has by all accounts legitimately changed his life. And even though I'm not a huge fan of Kanye, his music or his personality, I'm interested in the end game because he's a very smart business guy. Same as the Kardashians. People like to mock them, but they're very smart. And, I mean, Kanye now is an honorary Kardashian, having married uh, Kim Kardashian. So I'm not sure if it's legitimate. He's been very closely tied with Donald Trump, so could this just be like an elaborate plan to railroad Joe Biden by going after uh, the black vote, by going after independence? I don't know. I'm interested in it anyway, but we've already decided, and there's there's no political uh, charge to this, but we've already decided that we can elect an outsider who's been a reality TV star to the presidency. So if this is now kind of the new reality of it, I think we just have to roll with it. So good on Kanye, I guess. And then, yes, I mentioned bubonic plague. We've got another virus to worry about. Forget about coronavirus. Forget about murder hornets. Forget about dust storms. Forget about monkeys that transport the coronavirus. We now have in China, specifically in Inner Mongolia, a case of the bubonic plague. According to state reports, a herdsman is in quarantine, albeit in stable condition. However, officials are also investigating a second case uh, because of the most feared disease in the world, the bubonic plague. But they say, ah, it can be easily treated now. You know what? I'm not going to take this for granted because in 2020, when anyone says, oh, we can easily contain it. Let me clarify. When China says, oh, we can easily contain it, I think it's safe to say that we're uh, just when we start to to wean ourselves off of coronavirus countermeasures, uh, we can gear right back up to prevent uh, another black plague. So uh, this is how 2020 is going. 
You know, my wife the other day, we were cleaning the house a bit and she came across a, a 2020 planner and said something along the lines of, you know, how naive we were to think that anything could be planned in 2020, which I, I think was probably the most shrewd observation one could come up with. Uh, but not just about planning, by the way. I'm finally, in the last uh, few days, learning that I get to go somewhere again. Yes, I'm going to be on a plane to Calgary in a, a week and a half, uh, just for a couple of days. So this is like, for me, I used to travel a fair bit for work, just stuff to cover and other things that I do. And this is going to be like the first time in a while that I've actually been able to go anywhere. So, I mean... <laughs> Uh, have they taken all the fun out of it? So probably because you have to wear a mask on the plane and you can't touch anything and all of that stuff. But and they closed down, uh, you know, all of the stuff at the airport where you might want to hang out. So if you've got a long connection, uh, you don't really have anything to do. But it is a sign that we are getting back at least to some semblance of normalcy, but not too normal because, oh no, the public health bureaucrats don't like that. We had mostly across the country beautiful weather on Canada Day and, and the couple of days before and after it. And a lot of people, because they have been cooped up since March, decided, hey, I want to go out. I want to have fun. I want to get outside. And we've also been told, remember, that getting outside is completely fine, that outdoor transmission is virtually nil, that during the Black Lives Matter protest, for example, there was no spike in cases. In fact, very few cases at all from these, proving that you can all be outside uh, doing whatever you want and, and there's no risk of contracting the coronavirus. And remember, Justin Trudeau was in the protest himself. Other public health officials and political leaders were in the protest. So I do not fault any Canadian for looking at this and saying, I guess it's fine for us to be outside. So when I see pictures of people at beaches, I don't think, oh my goodness, what menaces to society these are. I think, well, I can't really blame them because after all, their political leaders have been proving to them that there's no real risk of anything happening to you outside. So I saw this footage. I'm not a big beach person myself. I burn too easily. I hate the sun and the water's always too cold for me. But if someone wants to go to the beach, I'm not going to blame them for it. But then you have this story out of CTV where a bunch of beach beachgoers in Wasaga Beach in particular were uh, told by the deputy fire chief, they couldn't even get the, the full fire chief there, that they were emblematic of the worst form of human behavior. This is what uh, he said in a, a news report from CTV. Well, you've likely seen the images of packed beaches and the lack of physical distancing. The result in some cases, like in the U.S., massive spikes in COVID numbers. Those concerns have now prompted strong action from the town of Wasaga Beach. CTV's Craig Momney joins us now. And Craig, what is the town doing to stop that trend? Sean, with temperatures on the rise, it's no surprise people are flocking to local beaches. But for the past few weeks, the town of Wasaga Beach has been dealing with overcrowding issues, with yesterday being the final straw. Now town officials are cracking down. With limited things to do because of COVID and with temperatures on the rise, people are flocking to beaches around the region. But the town of Wasaga Beach says every weekend since June 20th, beachgoers have been neglecting safety measures, with Canada Day being the last straw. We saw human behavior at its worst, quite frankly. Many visitors displayed a reckless disregard for public health guidelines when ignoring physical distancing recommendations. So that was uh, Wasaga Beach Deputy Fire Chief Craig Williams saying people going to the beach is human behavior at its worst. Now, I know it's still early. I have not yet heard of any coronavirus uh, uh, 
contractions from Wasaga Beach. I have not heard of any beach transmissions of coronavirus at all. I know other beaches as well, like Grand Bend, Ontario, were, were similarly busy and not everyone was wearing masks. Because again, the messaging on this has been so mixed. We were told at first, don't wear a mask because it's bad for you, then wear one if it makes you feel better, to now, as we talked about last week, some municipalities saying you've got to wear a mask. But then everything went out the window when the protests were happening. Whether you think the protests are justified or not, all of the previous public health guidelines about, oh, don't hang out with your neighbors and don't have kids' birthday parties and don't go to church and don't have funerals and don't have picnics and don't have your family over. And remember at one point in Ottawa, they were saying, don't talk to your neighbor over the backyard fence or don't talk from driveway to driveway to your neighbor. So all of that went out the window when they started to say, you know what, if you're going to a protest, just try to be safe about it. You know, Teresa Tam had said, try not to yell. They said, oh, maybe wear a mask. They said, yeah, if you can keep six feet, try to. Every previous bit of advice about what you have to do or what you aren't allowed to do outdoors was obliterated. So if someone says, you know what, I've been cooped up since March, this is now four months of my life, I haven't been able to go anywhere, I haven't been able to do anything, I haven't had much of a social life, I mean, I never did, but for them, that's a big problem, I get it. Uh, for them to say, we're going to go to the beach, if the politicians, the public health officials, the bureaucrats didn't want that, they shouldn't have started to change the advice based on the political narratives of protest. They should have stuck to it. Now, I would celebrate this, by the way. I mean, I wasn't looking for anyone to contract coronavirus at a Black Lives Matter protest. I was thrilled that no one did, A, because that's good for a healthier population if people aren't getting sick, but more importantly, because it proved that, okay, we can start getting back to normal. We've proved the concept that you can have big groups, big gatherings outdoor. I mean, what's the difference between having uh, 10,000 people at an outdoor concert versus having 10,000 people in a park for a protest? Absolutely nothing. So if what the evidence is telling us is that people can do whatever they want outside, that would include the beach. You shouldn't need to have Black Lives Matter bathing suits on for going to the beach to be safe. If it's safe to be outside and in close quarters with other people having a good time, then it's safe to do it no matter what the circumstances are, regardless of the moral worth of the particular activity or, or the particular uh, venue at which you're deciding to partake in this. So, you know, anytime people are not following the official guidelines, we can generally blame it on the fact that the official guidelines have changed. In some cases, they've changed two, three, four times. So in a week and a half, after that 14 days has elapsed from Canada Day, by July 15th, if we haven't seen any uptick in cases, then it will once again prove the point that we can get rid of a lot of these lockdowns because clearly the bans on outdoor activity are not in alignment with the science. The restrictions on outdoor activities are not consistent with the science. And that's what we should all be hoping for. The problem is, is that you've got to wait and they keep extending that period of time. So remember, uh, at first it was, okay, 14 days. When Justin Trudeau was self-isolating, he did it for like a month because he was basically saying, all right, he had to double the 14 days just to make sure there was no wiggle room on, on either side or, or something like that. But, you know, the, 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 the whole point of this comment from Deputy Chief Williams here, human behavior at its worst. This is being panned online and I, I think justifiably so. 
because of all the things we're going to look at in human behavior. And by the way, I'm fine with exaggerations and literary flourishes and making a, a point, embellishing for effect, all of that. But to say human behavior at its worst, you know, I don't want to make everything about the Holocaust. I know that's Godwin's law, but you know, the Holocaust, uh, we have many other acts of evil. We had a killing rampage in Nova Scotia a couple of weeks ago. We have people that butt in line at the grocery store. I mean, the, the sheer list of things that I would say are worse human behavior than going to the beach is longer than the coastline itself of all the Great Lakes combined. So human behavior at its worst is people just deciding, you know what, clearly we're able to safely gather outside. I want to have a, a bit of a party to celebrate the birth of my country. So this is going to continue because right now everything just keeps getting extended. The border shutdowns are extended. All of this stuff is just getting renewed over and over again. And we are headed towards something of a permanent lockdown where it's not just until the, the curve flattens or planks, it's until there's not a single case anywhere in the world, and then all of a sudden we're going to be worrying about the bubonic plague, so time to, time to quarantine again. But there doesn't seem to be an eagerness at all among lawmakers to get us to that point where we can completely open up. And I, I shouldn't say never, right? I mean, in some provinces they are. Alberta, for example, is okay with mass gatherings. Clearly, we, we've reopened churches in Ontario, so that's a, a positive and and elsewhere in the country as well but there still is this resistance especially at the federal level and in a lot of provincial governments to just saying all right uh you know i i think we've beat this we've reduced our our icu capacity we flattened the curve anything that happens is manageable i can't stress enough that when this started the point was not zero cases the point was not zero cases. The point was that everyone is going to get it anyway. We want to make sure that not everyone is getting it at the same time. And this seems like a distant memory now, but I, I very distinctly remember when that was the messaging that, listen, this is going to just go wide and a lot of people are going to contract this. Uh, we're going to develop that herd immunity. However, we need to ensure that what we do is, is have a population that is getting it in a staggered, measured way so that when the serious cases are putting people in the hospital, we have the capacity and the means to treat it. And this is why, I mean hospitals were girding themselves. We had field hospitals being set up that were completely unused because there was no flood. Now, I don't consider that evidence that we shouldn't have responded to the pandemic. I feel like that's evidence that we did the right thing, that we did flatten the curve. Remember, it was just that two weeks. It was that, that first two weeks was what they wanted. But the curve was flattened. Hospitals have been basically empty, not just because no one's going into them with coronavirus, but people have been avoiding hospitals for other things because they think hospitals are unsafe places, which, by the way, is not entirely inaccurate. So what's happened now is we've got a, a healthcare system that is ready for this. The, the point was never eradication. And that's the point here. And, and I, I don't want the response to that to be, oh, you're okay killing grandma. No, the focus from the get-go should have been on the vulnerable. It should have been on the people that were at high risk. You want zero cases among them. You want zero cases among long-term care homes. Those restrictions no one's arguing with even now. But when you have a general healthy population that is able to withstand and get over this, 
The whole point was just about making sure that we didn't have a flooding of the gates of the hospitals, which we've already succeeded against. So the moving goalposts continue to move beyond flattening the curve, beyond planking the curve. It's going to be vaccination. Then when the vaccination comes, it's going to be, uh, you know, make sure we get through two seasons. And and ultimately, I, I get that cases are happening. I get that the U.S. is still seeing these little flare-ups. But the whole point is, is that a lot of what's happened in the U.S. has been because people wanted to react against overreactions. So that's where the whole point about trust in political leaders comes in, because if people don't trust the political leadership, they're not going to trust them when they say, oh, well, I mean, just 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 cede over your rights to us and we'll take care of you. And this is where we are now. When people have proven themselves to be hypocrites and they say, don't go to the beach, a beach-going population is saying, you know what, screw you. We've done everything you've wanted. We've succeeded. We've done our part. And you can't even do yours because you couldn't even let a protest go by without showing up and uh, virtue signaling for the cameras. When we come back, more of The Andrew Lawton Show here on True North. You're tuned in to The Andrew Lawton Show. Another week and the desecration of monuments, statues, pretty much anything is continuing. It's hit close to home as well. We had last week vandalism of the memorial site or what is going to be the memorial site for a Canada's memorial to the victims of communism. Uh, this is spray painted, as you can see in this tweet from the Ukrainian Canadian Congress, with a hammer and sickle signs and communism will win. Now, is this an example of just a a bunch of stupid teens or or actual communists? I have no idea. But the whole point is that nothing is safe from this scourge of desecration that's going on right now. And no one is safe from it. I mean, we've had people that are Confederate leaders that have had statues taken down. Also people that are entirely uncontroversial or should be uncontroversial that have had their statues removed. And then you have this one. In Rochester, New York, not too far from southern Ontario, Frederick Douglass statue was torn down and vandalized. Now, this statue was on the site of where one of Douglass's most famous speeches was given in 1852. Frederick Douglass was an abolitionist. He was a human rights activist. He was a profound and intellectual thinker, and he was black. He was a black man. The site of the speech was a site along the Underground Railroad where Douglas, alongside Harriet Tubman, had actually helped shuttle slaves to freedom. So the idea that in this wave of Black Lives Matter protests, Frederick Douglass is seen as not able to withstand the scrutiny and standards of 2020 is not just absurd, but it's actually an abomination. And I don't take delight in this. I don't say, oh, well, the left is cannibalizing its own. I mean, here they're taking down the statue of the guy they should love. It's actually heartbreaking to me that there is such an antagonism to history that not only is everyone seen as an anachronism, but that everyone is seen as evil, that there is going to be no more history because no one's going to want to talk about any historic figures and no one's going to want to celebrate the good of any of this. So now people are wondering, is this just retaliation? Are are people retaliating against Black Lives Matter protesters uh, by taking down Frederick Douglass? But there's no evidence to suggest that. In fact, the evidence is that everyone's just taking down every single statue. And the people doing it are people that think that these things are, are monuments to evil. And that's just so not the case. And, you know, there there is something 
very dangerous in all of this. Uh, you know, statues have been used to idolize, yes. They're not just there as historic artifacts. But the whole point about statues... And someone brought up this point to me the other day, and I, I thought it was interesting. They're saying, you know, why do you have statues up to people if they are uh, controversial? Why wouldn't you have a statue of Hitler up, for example? Because, oh, well, it's a part of history. And the best explanation that I thought of for that was that you're talking about different regimes there. So, you know, Hitler would not be idolized because the Germany now is a different Germany than it was then. He was toppled. He was seen as, as bad. The regime changed. Germany's now on a better path. You look at, uh, you know, Confederacy is a bit of a different example because they lost. I mean, like it or not, why would you have monuments up to losing generals? However, when you look at uh, other, uh, like, Wilfrid Laurier, John A. Macdonald, past prime ministers, this is all one Canada. This is all part of the series of prime ministers, the series of Canada's history that brought us to the point we are at right now. And it's important to protect that history because everything the country is, is because of its past. And when people start to say, well, you know, it's all about context and all of that, they're missing the mark. You know, John A. Macdonald might not have said the right thing about Chinese people. He might not have done the right thing about Chinese people. He might have said some things about aboriginals that were very in poor taste, considering what we know and, and think now. Although, by the way, he was actually on the aboriginal issue. John A. Macdonald was very progressive compared to a lot of his contemporaries. So I, I don't even like going down that road with it. But the reason I, I bring this up is to say that he still created a country that has the capacity to fight back against all of these things. He created a, a country that has the capacity to seek freedom, to seek equality, to seek justice. And if you believe in the notion that a country is bigger than the people who govern it, that a country is an idea rather than a collection of people, it's easy to say, yeah, no one needed to be perfect in history for the country itself to rise above that and to shed anything that is negative, and to continue to grow. And this is something that I, I was reflecting on and hadn't quite figured out how to express when I, I did the Canada Day show. And I know we were talking with uh, David Miller at Haskell for a lot of that too. But it, but it is something that I think we need to internalize here, and especially in the United States. Because in the U.S., they do hold to that idea that the United States is an idea. They, they cling to that notion very significantly. And the whole point of it is that, yes, you know, in, in spite of everything that's happened, for better, for worse, the United States continues as a country. One of the most uninterrupted, long-lasting democracies or republics in the case of the U.S. in the world. I mean, you think of how few countries there are that can go on for centuries without interruption. And that's pretty darn impressive. I mean, the British is one example. Canada at 150 years. Yes, it's a relatively young country. But if you look at how few countries can do that for 150 years without changing regimes, that's quite significant. So we need to celebrate the history, not tear down the statues. People that I'm talking to on the show right now, I know get this. But I'm hoping we can, in society, start to reach the point where people are, are not throwing out everything. And when the Frederick Douglass statue comes down, it's amazing how a lot of the people that are okay with the Christopher Columbus statue coming down, that are okay with, you know, the George Washington and the Thomas Jefferson statues coming down, and are okay with the Washington Monument being defaced, are thinking, whoa, 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 hang on, no, we, we don't want to take down statues. 
And that's a, a point here that I think needs to be raised is that, that there, there is always going to be someone that wants to push the destruction a little bit further, no matter what, because there are some people who just like the destruction, no matter what, no matter who, they just want to destroy things. And these people need to be stopped because eventually there's going to be nothing left to celebrate. There is going to be no history. And make no mistake, they are not interested in social justice. They are not interested in just finding a way to, you know, remedy this, to right this wrong, to fix this problem. They actually just want everything gone. And I, I've said it time and time again, they are not interested in creating anything. They are only interested in destroying. And what comes next is someone else's problem. Yeah, I watched on uh, on Friday, I watched Hamilton, which uh, I saw it on Broadway uh, about a year year ago or so, and it's now on, on Disney+. Plus. So my wife and I watch Hamilton, and there's a great song in it. I, I'm not going to give away too, too much, but you can look up the song on YouTube if you want. I'm not going to play it. Uh, the, the King George character who is in the show uh, sings What Comes Next, and it's basically about the American Revolution has just happened, America's independent, King George comes out and in this mocking tone asks uh, rhetorically what comes next. And, you know, there's a funny thing about that. Now, in the case of the American Founding Fathers, they knew what came next. They did that. But in the case of the people tearing down the statue, saying we have to get rid of this bit of history and that bit of history, they have no clue what comes next. And what's worse is they don't even care. They don't even care. That is someone else's problem. They've done their part by pushing over a statue, but you know what? It's a heck of a lot easier to topple something than it is to build it. And they're not interested in the building. So what we need to do is see through this for what it is, which is a, a hollow movement based not on social justice, not on countering racism, a hollow movement based on destroying things that they already hated in the first place. And, and this is far more important than, you know, this company changing its name, the Dixie Chicks becoming the Chicks, Lady Antebellum becoming Lady A and, and all of that stuff, because this is actually messing around with something that matters. I don't, if the Dixie Chicks go away, it doesn't bother me. <laughs> If the history of civilization starts to go away, that does bother me a fair bit. And it's not being overdramatic because these people want our history reduced to the very worst. Part of history is celebrating the good, celebrating the bad, and figuring out the difference between the two. Destroying the statues isn't just taking down monuments and idols, but it's also about rewriting and revising. Because a lot of these people don't think that in a museum a lot of these figures should be given that positive a treatment anyway. So it isn't just about the celebration of them, like some critics tend to say. So my point on this would be recognize the end game, recognize what they want. It's not just about the statues. It's about what the statues represent, which is the very ideals on which Canada and the United States have been founded, which these people fundamentally despise. And I know I'm going out not on a, a chipper note here, but it's an important note. So I hope you uh, heed it. And again, to the the legacy of Frederick Douglass, uh, that this man ends up with his statue on the ground is, is just an abomination. We've got to wrap things up for today. My thanks to all of you for tuning into the show. We'll talk to you in a couple of days with more of Canada's most irreverent talk show. Thank you. God bless. And good day, Canada. Thanks for listening to The Andrew Lawton Show. Support the program by donating to True North at www.tnc.news.